трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки... Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Russian Football News Podcast. It's all kicking off in the Russian leagues at the moment with various headlines coming out, mostly bad, unfortunately. But here to dissect all this, we've got my two regular guests. We've got the website editor-in-chief, Toka Thelade. How are you? Hey, Thomas. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. And we have, of course, Andrew Flint. Hello, good to be back again. Good stuff. Okay, so obviously the headline news really, which has sort of been covered the most in the Western media, is the ban for cocaine use by CSKA midfielder Roman Yeremenko. So, Toka, just a bit of background for the listeners. Well, it's it's actually pretty simple, as you said. He was tested positive for doing cocaine after the Champions League match in Leverkusen back in September. Then he was suspended for a month while the investigation was going on, and then... Yesterday, we heard that he had been banned for for two years, or for one year and eleven months, because he has already been out for one month. So, Siska have have said now that they are going to appeal this and that they hope to get Jeremenko back soon. But yeah, it it's it's a, it's a problematic situation because he's he really is a key player for them. So they'll definitely miss him. Yeah, Andrew, this one sort of. Not so much come out the blue, because there was rumours of snuff, essentially. Um, that was the main rumour going around, so this is mm. somewhat of a surprise. Yeah, I mean, the I, I'm just, I was saying to you guys earlier that, I mean, I've never, I've not, not been familiar with a lot of cases of, you know, uh, footballers taking, um, well, <laughs> recreational drugs, shall we say, like this. I mean, there's a couple of examples that... That stick out, but you know when we when we first heard he had a ban from UEFA, that was um, I guess I should have been a bit more suspicious at the time why it was there was so little information about it initially, um, but yeah, I mean it's it's not coming at a good time, um, you know after the the stock of footballers Russian footballers or footballers in Russia is is really never been lower at the moment, you know after the summer we saw with. Um, uh, Mamayev and Kukorin and their champagne party, you know, that didn't go down particularly well. Um, and now this, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how much the club defend him. And, you know, Toka mentioned the appeal. Uh, I can't see how that is likely going to, that's likely to be successful. Um, so, you know, if they do continue to stand by their man, they've got, they've got a bit of a balancing act, haven't they, really? Um, you know, they've got a thin squad and we desperately need them on the playing side, but then, you know, is his, in the harshest sense, a chance to you know, cut a bit of the wage bill. You know, we'll see how much the club back him. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the updates in that in the next few days and weeks. Yeah, we talk about the appeal. Now, um, Toko, do you, what, I don't know what your your knowledge is in this department, really. I'm sort of going to put you on the spot. But what sort of grounds of appeal would you have on a band like this, do you think? I think the only thing that, that can appeal is... Is the length of the of the ban because I don't think there's any doubt that he did cocaine, and I think Siskin knows that. But I think what they're appealing is is the fact that he's been suspended for two years. I think that's that's the problem, and they hope to shorten his his suspension from football, of course. Yeah, so obviously he wouldn't be available in that time. And Andrew, you mentioned cutting the wage bill. Yeremenko still got quite a long time left on his contract, and he's on quite a high wage there. So, I mean, do you think they could? Can- I mean, we saw this with Mutu at Chelsea. A few mm, years ago, yeah. when Mutu got sacked by the club for breach of contract, do you think? Suppose the appeal doesn't go well, say, yeah. and, he, and it gets the full two years. Do you think we might see another breach of contract situation here, especially with CSK purse strings a bit tight at the moment? Well, I, I have to be honest. I think it's very likely. Um, it's like you say, the the length of contracts as well, the 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 wages, and then of course, you see the problem. I say problem. The thing is now that. They, if they're going to sack him on the grounds of breach of contract, they shouldn't have already said we're going to appeal the case. In my opinion, I mean, I, you know, if if you're, it's fairly obvious, like Toto says, you know, he has transgressed, um, and if they're just debating the length of time, that suggests fairly obviously that they want him back, that they want to use him. But to then turn around, if they were unsuccessful in that appeal, to then turn around and say. Okay, fine. On breach of contract, we're sacking you. It's it's it shows very clearly that it, it's really nothing to do with the moral grounds. It is purely financial. Now, of course, we could understand that, um, and they, I'm almost certainly will 
use Mutu's example as, as a precedent, because I think Mutu's ban was also about two years, um, you know, and we saw him move to Italy afterwards. Um, so I think, I think we probably will, on balance, uh, I think we probably will see it happen, because, I mean, for Cisco to have that dead weight and negative story on their hands for two years is just, it's too much of a burden for them. So, yeah, I'm sure we will see them um, go down that route. Um, Toka, would you go with that? I'm just looking now, actually, at the Mutu case, and it turns out Chelsea did not appeal on the Mutu case. They just straight out sacked him. So, as Andrew says, it's a bit of a conflict here if they are going to sack him, but they've appealed in the first place. How do you see this one going, Toka? I guess it all depends on how much they have to pay Yerevenko while he's, he's suspended. I mean, I, I would understand if they kept him on the books, if they could get away with paying him next to nothing simply because he's suspended. I would assume well, the thing is, sorry, very quickly, Toko, we know that the yeah. players' union in Russia doesn't have that much have much influence, really, as well. So it's not like in England where the PFA would really be up in arms about it. We know that the, P, the PFA in Russia is not that strong. Yeah, and I, I would assume that uh, there's some sort of clause in the contract that allows Siska to get out of it or to lower the salary or something. I don't know what, what, what it could be, but he, he's such an, a good player for Siska. I think the big difference between him and, and Muto is that Yeremenko is a key player for Siska and one of, if not the best player on the team. So, of course, they'd have an interest in keeping him and helping him get back to the first team in a couple of years. If, but it, it's, it's, it's difficult to say now. I think they'll, they'll keep him up for now and then see what happens with the appeal process and everything. But I also think it's, it's important to remember with this appeal, it's, it's not something that will happen overnight. I saw one pundit saying it could take around a year, and from my experience from other sports and other doping cases, something like this takes a very long time. So it's not like we'll see him at the beginning of the year or anything. Uh, he, he's definitely going to be out for a very long time, even if they are successful with their with their appeal. So it, it's so problematic for Cisco this, especially now when Zagorov is also out injured and the squad is all, already relatively thin uh, compared to the other, other squads in the top. So, yeah, th- this could really hurt the chances of both defending the championship com- and also proceeding from the Champions League because he is, as I said, the, maybe the best player in the entire squad. So th- this could destroy the whole season. Yeah, I mean, we saw... <clears throat> sorry, to, c- to keep going back to the Mutu case, I apologise. But we saw the Court of Arbitration for Sport get involved there, and that took about a year. Now, Andrew, you mentioned here that you were quite suspicious of the fact they didn't mention any ban. Do you, Why would CSKA do that, do you think? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm wondering whether it wasn't entirely the club's decision, whether it was... Um, I don't know whether it was deliberation from UEFA over the length of the ban they were going to hand out or... Um, I, I'm not. In, I'm not entirely sure if I'm honest. Um, but perhaps you know they just simply wanted to buy themselves some time to work out what is our approach going to be. Because as soon as they announce that news, they're going to have to comment pretty much straight away if they are going to defend their player or if they're going to cast him out like Chelsea did with Mutu. And I'm not saying Chelsea were wrong to. Um, but simply, you know, you announce the news, you, you can't really just say, "Well, our player's been banned for two years. That's it," and not say one way or the other, loosely speaking, if you're going to back him or not. So perhaps perhaps they were taking legal advice in that time, um, uh, or perhaps they just simply needed more time to you know, give the player a chance to explain and work out what they wanted to do. Um, but, well, I don't know, we'll see, we'll see. Um, but I, th- I think it's, uh, it's looking murkier and murkier for CSK on um, pretty much every front at the moment. Yeah, a point that really sort of interested me, as you know, I'm a big Birmingham City fan. Now, we had Gary O'Connor, of course, he used to play for Locomotive Moscow. A few years ago, he was done for cocaine use, but it was never announced by either the club or FIFA or UEFA or anybody that that happened. It just said that he was injured. And it was only a BBC Panorama investigation a couple of years ago that revealed that this came to light. So it's a bit strange in that regard. I mean, Toka, would you go with Andrew here with the, the club, that it was a bit strange not to say anything? Yeah, I think the big problem for Yeremenko was that he was caught during a Champions League match. There's, there's really no hiding because, as you said with um, with O'Connor, I, I believe he got like a, a three-month internal ban for at Birmingham and then a final, and then that was it. But yeah. when you get caught during a Champions League match, there's no hiding, there's no way to avoid it. And it was simply impossible to sweep under the under the carpet at home, so... Yeah, that was. I think that was the the main problem for for Siska and Jeremengo here, and I mean, that's 
that's probably also why it is a two-year suspension because it was during the Champions League and there's yeah, they have to follow all the rules and everything. Yeah, they have to follow the rules. How unfortunate. But, <laughs> but Andrew, I mean, Toka talks about the Champions League there. Now, I don't want to get into too much speculation or anything like that, but do you think if this had happened in a Russian Premier League game, we might be seeing a different outcome? Well, unfortunately, I think I'd have to say yes. Um, just simply because of... Well, I don't know. It's, yeah, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure it would have been different because... Like Toka mentions, the stage makes a big difference. Whether we like it or not, we can all be moral for a moment and say, oh, well, if you take drugs, it should be the same judgment everywhere. And I'm not saying I disagree with that. But the reality of life is, like Toka mentioned, the stage makes all the difference. Um, I mean, put it another way, if it had happened during a World Cup, um, you know, what do you think would happen then? Of course, it would be possibly even more stringent. Um, you know, I mean, the fact that it happened to a... A player for a Russian club, I'm sure there will be a fair few English casual fans who will think, oh, well, Russian club, drugs, yeah, that makes sense, you know, in a very lazy uh, assessment. And, of course, it's not a club's um, responsibility at all. It's not It's not their ability to watch Yeremenko every minute of every day. Um, but the the reaction to it is, is what the club can be judged on. Um, and... You know, again, it comes back to what stance the club wants to take. If they are going to defend their player, there are many ways to (laughs) bury bad news. Um, I mean, I'm just going to go slightly off tangent, but related to burying bad news for a moment here. Last season, when Terek played Oral and there was a whole betting scandal before the game, uh, ended up being 3-3 in Yekaterinburg, that mysteriously just disappeared. You know, there was no... Um, there's no stories about what had happened if any punishments had been handed down and it just sort of gradually subsided that sort of thing can happen quite comfortably and I'm sure that's probably what we would have seen if it had been just Russian Premier League um, but <clears throat> as it's not there like Toka says there's no hiding place so uh, I'm unfortunately Cisco just have to have to deal with it um, and I don't see how they can deal with it getting him back inside any short time um, on the, in the short term anyway I mean, yeah, and, and let, let's let's remember that last season when um, when that German uh, news station who who broke the story about the whole doping system and everything, they actually also reported that Mutko and Krasnodar had hidden uh, a doping case that had never been published, um, been publicly known, or there had been no punishments or anything. So I'm I'm absolutely certain that this happens. That had this happened in Russia, it would have been kept a secret. That Unless something special had happened, because that's that that otherwise would have surprised me, because we have seen these these earlier cases where they have to keep the facts hidden. So yeah, I mean the thing Yeremenko, is, yeah, go on, go on, you you finish and then I'll. No, I'm all right. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, I was just going to say we talk about keeping the facts hidden, and people say, oh, it's Russia. But like I said, the Gary O'Connor story was inc- was even more hidden than this. So, you know, it's not like English, English football in particular has any yeah. particular like higher ground in that respect. Just before I move on, it's quite interesting to mention that the match he got tested for, he actually scored in that match away at Bayer Leverkusen. So I don't know whether that has something to do with the fact he got tested. I, I'm pretty sure they do it at random samples, to be fair. But anyway, um, if you want to look more about the Yeremenko case, then just Google it online. It's, it's really quite fascinating. We'll see what happens with the appeal and the process and what's going to go on. I'm sure it'll drag on for a good year at least yet but i want to move and on we, we have we have a piece coming on it as well on the website perfect there we go so go and check that out when's that due up toka and that is not finished yet okay so it's due up in the next couple of days so it might be might be up by the time you're listening to this podcast so that's perfect but now i want to move on to well as it happens that uh Yenemenko test was in the champions league we're going to move on to another champions league team and that's rostov so Rostov, of course, the sort of the minnows of the Champions League this season, really, in a group um, with Atletico, Bayern Munich and PSV Eindhoven, three quite big clubs in European football. Now, Rostov sitting bottom of the table, only on goal difference. So Bayern and Atletico have already, <coughs> excuse me, qualified and with 12 and 9 points respectively. We see PSV and Rostov on one point each. Now, on Wednesday, we've got Rostov at home to Bayern Munich at five o'clock. Now, Andrew... This surely has to just be don't get thrashed like last time. Well, yeah, I think it's uh, it's, a, it's a genuine, absolutely huge match. It would have been anyway, just simply an opportunity to play a top club like Bayern Munich at home. But um, what I found 
a little bit interesting is that, you know, before this group stage, Rostov would have looked at their opponents and thought, well, I mean, it's, it's not a lack of ambition to say we're not going to win the group. Um, that would have just been, I mean, a miracle was coming second last season in the Premier League. But um, looking at a game like Bayern Munich, you, 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 well, looking at the group as a whole, you, don't, you have to be honest and say, well, you know, PSV is where we've got to look to pick up the points. Um, but now they've got, you know, it's, it's, it's an all or nothing. It's a shootout here. Just better um, PSV's result and go through. And what I like as well is the fact that before the Atletico Madrid game um, last time out, they uh, they actually saved their players for that game. And I wasn't, I wouldn't think they were going to do that. You know, away, you know, in Madrid, I thought they'd just write it off, save the players for Premier League, keep them, you know, keep themselves going. But they did the opposite. They rested players and actually lost. I think it was to was it to Amcar, wasn't it? Um, so uh, they they're taking it seriously. Um, I mean, you know, more seriously than I expected. Uh, honestly speaking, I I do think there's a good chance they they might um, they might be able to put enough pressure on. Uh, Bayern and you know the incentive is well it's, it's fairly clear that the incentive's there and not just for Rostov don't forget that but also for the potential improvement on the coefficient which we've covered before uh, you know and it's it's really close at the moment so if they get more European football later this season then that's a massive massive plus not to mention the financial incentives um, so yeah, all in all, I think I think the I think the omens are, are are not too bad for them. Um, you know, most people expect them to get thrashed um, in you know the English, Western, European media, but I'm not so sure. I think it will be fairly tight. Um, but I'm I'm secretly secretly confident. I'll be honest, Andrew, I was one of those who predicted they'd get thrashed, and I think you said last time that they wouldn't get thrashed, and look what happened. <laughs> so I'm just saying. Well, no, I know you know you're right. I mean, last time out, I mean, admittedly, it was was it five nil? Was it something Maybe, like that? Uh, yeah, it's something that you don't want to remember. <laughs> yeah, the, the the final result was fairly comprehensive, but I even still though, even still, the first half hour they more than held their own, and they honestly thought if they could get to half time, they'd probably still lose, but it might just be a bit of nerves, and it might only be a narrow defeat. Um, but obviously, the first half hour, they were really impressive. You know, kept possession well. They didn't threaten a great deal because they didn't have a lot of the ball. But when they did have it, they, they used it reasonably well. Um, and, and against Atletico, they made a vast improvement there. Was it the 88th minute, 89th minute? I think it might even have been later than that. I'm not sure. So even injury time, perhaps. But it was certainly the last last moments of the match that they failed to get a, a point, which would have been incredible. Um, so... No, I mean, I'm, you know, you know me. I'm always negative on these podcasts, so I'm going to be positive for once. I'm going to say I, I think they will. Um, I think they will get a point. Okay, that that's certainly brave. I mean, speaking of sort of narrow results, I mean, Toka Andrew mentions the Atletico result there. That would have been huge. But the good thing is they didn't get thrashed. I mean, the problem now is that thrashing in the first game. So it means they're currently two goals behind PSV. So they've just got to hope that PSV get thrashed at, in Madrid, or I, I'm not sure whether, well, against Atletico either way, and then hope that they sort of hold their own against uh, Bayern. And then, of course, it all goes down to that last game against PSV. That is a must win. There's no way about it, really. Yeah, well, the thing is that we have to remember that it's all about the head-to-head head, uh, comparisons between the teams in if they finish on the same amount of points. So... Whether or not Rostov loses 5-0 or 10-0 or 1-0, it doesn't really matter as long as PSV also lose because then Rostov can still finish third if they win the last game. So that that's really all that matters at this point. But when when I looked at when I saw the schedule before this Champions League group started, I hoped that Bayern would already be advanced and hopefully on the first place by this time. So they would send a B squad to Rostov and hopefully Rostov would get a bit of a, an extra chance because Bayern would be weakened, but Considering Bayern, they need to win to have a chance to win the group. I'm, I'm not so sure that will happen. Of course, they might not be top motivated because they have they have already secured advancement to the um, to round of 16. But but that seeding is so important in the Champions League, though. Yeah, exactly. So I I don't think they will leave anything to chance at this point. That would be stupid. And then so I must say it's, it's difficult for me to see Rostov. Uh, get anything anything from this match? Of course, I I think they'll do better than in the first game. It's it's at home. They have gotten used to the Champions League now. I, I think we have to remember that the last game was also their debut. So of course, that's that was extra difficult, especially at Allianz Arena and everything. But 
I still think they'll probably lose two or three nil, something like that. But in the end, as long as PSV also lose, that's that's all right. It's all about the last game. That's that's where they have to secure their advancement to the next to the next uh, to the Europa League, and that would be that would be a tremendous debut for them in the Champions League. That would be really really good if they go to the Europa League from this. Yeah, absolutely. The thing is as well with the Bayern thing, they also lost at the weekend to Borussia Dortmund. And then no, they're sort of, they're not top of the table essentially, so that's bad news for them. So this could swing either way. Either they're in bad form and you catch them on another bad day, or they're really motivated. They think, right, we've got to turn this season around here. Now, Andrew, that last, the last, the previous game against PSV, that you can't help but feel that was really huge, and that could really cost them in the end. Well. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, um, it's true. It's the whole it, it's the whole head to head thing that. Um, in, in my opinion, it, it kind of annoys me, really. You know, if you're going to have anything resembling a league, it should be based on a league, not on a head-to-head, because that's a knockout mentality, in my opinion. This is my personal opinion here. Um, because, you know, you, that, what's the point in having a group stage in the first place? But unfortunately, I think you're right. I don't, I don't think, um, I really only, only a win will do. It's, they're not going to draw 3-3. In Eindhoven, if they do, I will look very stupid. But I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that's worth sticking a tenner on, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know. Now I've said that, everybody knows that is definitely worth a bet now. Um, but yeah, yeah, like Toka says, um, the well, it's, it's all on that last game, and the pressure is entirely on Rostov to win. I think that is going to be, I think that's going to be tricky. So um, going into that last game, level on points, I'd say I wouldn't be so confident. Um, I mean, yeah, get get a point against Bayern Munich, easy easy to do that, right? Um, but the other thing as well I'd mention is that nah, it's, it's, yeah, it's 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 going to be tricky. It's going to be tricky. And um, they, I I know it's, I know it sounds like it's it's all on that last game, but if they could go into it knowing a draw would be enough, that would make all the difference. Um, so I don't think we should downplay how important the result is is going to be this coming week. Um, I mean, I'm saying I, I, I fancy their chances. I mean, fancy their chances of blocking them out. So I don't think they're going to um, win or blow them away. But if they could get that point, that would just make the difference for me. Yeah, I mean, we called them the Russian Leicester City last season. Now, Leicester City, of course, dropped off the pace in the Premier League, but doing exceedingly well in the Champions League. Obviously, Rostov not really having that Champions League look. I mean, Leicester are an easier group. But Toka, Rostov currently fifth in the league with 21 points. Are we seeing a similar scenario with their... Well, with their Leicestershire rivals, I suppose you could say, in that they've sort of dropped off the league to focus on the Champions League a bit too much. I don't think they're over-focusing on the Champions League. I think the main issue is probably, first of all, that, of course, last season was a massive overperformance by Rostov. So what we're seeing now is probably more the real level. And then secondly, that Rostov are no longer able to surprise anyone. No one is surprised by the outlook of their 3-5-2 uh, or... 5-3-2, uh, depending on how you see the wingbacks and everything. And people also expect more from Rostov now. They can't travel to Moscow or to Tomsk, one of these smaller cities. They can't travel anywhere and expect the opponents just to take the over control of the game because all the opponents know exactly what Rostov's strengths are these days. They know that if they, sit, um, if they keep possession too much and stand too high in the field, Rostov will punish them. So the teams are starting to respect Rostov more and also to take measures to avoid losing like they did last season where Rostov went to St. Petersburg and played really well. They went to Siska and played really well. They defeated all these great teams and they also um, managed to beat all the smaller teams or at least some of the smaller teams as well who, who thought, well, this is not the best Rostov side. They might be overperforming, but we can still play football against them at home. No one thinks that's anymore because all the teams are starting to respect Rostov. So, of course, they're the form was, was bound to to worsen this season. I don't think anyone uh, expected anything else. And the fact that Rostov are still fifth at the league is that that's probably all right actually, considering the the lack of depth they have in the squad and and also the fact that they're now playing in the Champions League, competing in more tournaments that than they have ever done at, at this stage of the season. So just going to that last game against PSV, Toka. I mean, it, like we said, it really is a must-win. Do you, do you give them much of a chance, or do you think the pressure is too much? No, I think PSV will win. Unfortunately, the, my problem with Rostov is that it's not really a team that go to away matches against, for example, PSV and get a victory. And they have to get this victory 
because PSV can play on. They 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 can just get a zero zero one one draw and then that would be fine for them. They can even play two two if the if the, if the current uh, goal difference stands. So it'll be difficult for Rostov because I don't think PSV will give them anything compared, to, especially compared to the first game where they probably tried to get the victory. That might not be necessary for this return leg. So I think Rostov will struggle. They will they'll probably have to be more offensive than they used to, and I'm not sure they can handle that. And what would you give uh, Rostov's chance in that final game, Andrew? Well, yeah, I, I know it's going to sound odd, but I'd actually worry always more about their ability to get a win against PSV than to get a point against um, Bayern this week. Um, I think it's it it just it just depends on the result they get against Bayern for me. Um, and, and like I say, that the chances of that are fairly slim given the quality of Bayern. Um, the thing, I mean, PSV did show the the, the qualifiers. They had a couple of good away results um, against was it Anderlecht and uh, Ajax they have a, against Ajax. Um, they did what they needed to do there. Um, so yeah, you know, that gives me a bit of hope. Um, but you, you mentioned earlier, you asked me earlier about that. Uh, is it going to come back to haunt them that? Um, result in Rostov and it, it, it really will um, unfortunately um, chances of winning that PSV game uh, I really want to say I think they could do it but I, I just see it being a tiny step too far if it's only a win that they need so um, a lot riding on this week for me yeah, I'm just uh, looking at the, their form in the Eredivisie at the moment, and they're, they are unbeaten in their last five. Those, that, I can only see the last five fixtures, to be fair, so maybe they, they lost, or even that run stretches further back than that. So, so it looks like a, a incredibly difficult task for Rostov to go to PSV and win. Now, my final little quiz about this Rostov thing is we know that Rostov have about three head coaches at the moment, one for paperwork, one official, <laughs> and one to take training. So the quiz to both of you for this for this podcast is who do you think the UEFA cameras will focus on and say is the head coach of Rostov? <laughs> we'll have you first, Toka. Well, the safe choice is anyone but Badiev because they never seem to understand that he's the real man in charge. And it's only during the Russian games they actually know to film up in the president's box or wherever he decides to sit and, and film on him. And yeah, so they'll probably focus on the man on the, on the sideline. Uh, um, that's, that's that's the safe choice. Yeah. What what about you, Andrew? <laughs> that's a good question. I think I probably would go along with with Toka, but I'm wondering whether anybody there is starting to wonder. Hang on, don't we recognise that slightly pensive chap with rosary beads in his hand in the box? I'm sure we've seen him somewhere before. Maybe they, maybe yeah, maybe. they might <laughs> flicker the camera once or twice. But I think Toka's probably right. It'll. Um, I'm sure it will just be on the sidelines instead. So. Um, yeah, uh, that's that's where my money would be. But I, I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised to see a few shots of Bedia. I'm going to go with the physio. I think did we see that with Lokomotiv versus Fenerbahce last season <laughs> in Istanbul? Didn't they, didn't they put the, well, didn't they put it on the fitness coach or something? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I'm going to go that's for that. Good. I'm going to say the physio. <laughs> so ridiculous. Um, anyway, so moving on from that Rostov thing. Oh, just just very quickly, we assume that we're we're knocking them out of European football this season. Both of you are we? Uh, unfortunately, with my head, I'm going to have to say yes. And Toka? Yeah, I agree. Okay, well, shame. But um, anyway, moving on from well, one sort of disastrous topic to another, <laughs> that is the Zenit Arena in St. Petersburg, which is once again the World Cup Stadium which has once again been hit by more delays and corruption allegations and now a vibrating pitch. So I'm not sure what, what can go wrong next. I mean, Toka, this is, I mean, we had the piece on the website. I'm, I'm going to plug myself because I wrote it, but this is just another day at the office, really. Yeah, unfortunately, it seems like every single day the, the people are surrounding, working on the construction, they find new ways to create scandals. It's, it's quite impressive because I thought we had seen it all and then, they decide to make the pitch vibrate. I, I just, I can't help wonder what we'll see next week. I'm, I'm almost excited for it because it, it's sure, <laughs> it, it surely is interesting to follow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's certainly a bit of an odd one. I mean, we mentioned the vibrating pitch there. Apparently it vibrates seven times the amount. So that is to do with the, um, you can read the, the piece on the website yourself. You know, but. You, know what, you know what I like about that is that they even have an amount they expect a pitch to vibrate in the first place. Well, yeah, I, I don't. The <laughs> <laughs> thing is, I mean, like, a, like I put on the, the piece, it's, there's several stadiums that have done this. It's to do with the retractable pitch, which can go out the mm. stadium because they're planning to use it for concert venues because I imagine because the budget has gone 
spiraling out of control. Originally at 4 billion rubles, and now it's at 40 billion. So that's tenfold budget. You thought the Wembley budget was bad. Look at this. I mean, mm. the thing is, it's meant to be used for other concerts and things. So they're trying to take the grass out to preserve it. And I understand quite a few stadia around the world have already had that. I mean, Schalke is probably the most famous example. So, Andrew, we've seen more rests and things. I mean, this is the stadium that's due to host the Confederations Cup final next year in May, mm. in June, yeah. or whenever it is. Is it going to be ready? Well, I think if you say ready by literally the day of the match, it will be. Um, but by FIFA UEFA deadlines, I'm sure... I, I don't know what the latest deadline is. It's, is, is, aren't, is there some inspection in December? December the, it's around Returns. by December the 20th they're going to come back. Well, I, I can't believe for a second it will be completely ready by then. Um, but I mean, the, the thing about the thing about Zenit Arena, which I think counts in its favour, one of a few things that does, is simply the basic fact it's in Saint Petersburg. The, I mean, FIFA could not stomach a World Cup without having the most glamorous, well-known city, um, you know, popular city almost. I would say um, without a venue, it'd just be beyond a humiliation. Um, so I, I'm certain there will be allowances made to just to make sure it does get over the line. Whether you know behind closed doors there are certain punishments handed out for not getting it ready in time or according to the schedule at least i don't know possibly um but i just i cannot believe it will be allowed to fall behind i mean you know it's not like russian stadia are you know have, have not come across problems with corruption and delays before um plenty of the other venues have too um but this one i'll be honest matters more really um, I mean, they all matter in a sense, but this one really does matter. This is the jewel in the crown, and not just because of the World Cup, obviously, like you say, because of Confederations Cup. That's a chance to show the world, yes, we've got these bright new stadia that perhaps you didn't know about so or didn't know so much about. So I think it's... Um, I don't think it will be allowed to not be ready. Um, Toko, would you... We, I mean, Andrew mentions this. The thing is, the R- Russian football, and actually Russian politics is gen- in general, is very St. Petersburg-centric these days. So, Toka, do you think that we could possibly see St. Petersburg be removed from the Confederations? Or do you think that'll be, because there's so much emphasis on St. Petersburg now in, in general Russian society and politics and things, that it just won't be allowed to happen? I think it, it, it just has to be, it has to be finished by the Confederations Cup. It's, it, it looks difficult now, but it simply has to be, uh, be done because if not, where they're going to play, they, at the moment, the only World Cup stadiums that are actually ready to play on is Akriti Arena in Moscow and then Kazan Arena in, in Kazan, of course. So they have those two stadiums. So they simply need, they need St. Petersburg. They need, um, they need Senate Arena. So there, there's really no choice. There's no plan B. They just has to build this stadium in, in time for the Confederations Cup, but whatever it takes, really. So I, I, I think I think they will they will use that the Confederations Cup, but it probably won't be pretty the the process up to and I'm sure FIFA won't be pleased when it returns to St. Petersburg in December, but I just I just can't see what the alternative is really. Andrew, have FIFA been too lenient here on them? Um That's actually a very good question, Thomas. I I'm sort of split on this one. In in one basic sense, if uh, if you just look at the timetable they've laid out and they've given plenty of warning. I mean, when did the the, the Zenit Arena started being built? What almost a decade ago or something? Well, they said so, it originally. They, it was originally it was meant to be finished in two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Right. Yeah. Um, so you know, in one sense, you could say no, they're not being too. They are being too lenient. Sorry. Um, because, you know, it's not like it was sprung upon the developers, the construction company. The thing is, um, the, the stadium was actually, the start, the planning process and all the starting process was actually before the World Cup bid was won, which is what's so well, ridiculous as well. <laughs> well, that, that, that as well, that will add to the people who say, no, they, they should be, if they don't get it right on time, they should be punished by, if it really needs to be taken away from them as a, as a venue. Um, but what I would say on the other hand is that, I mean, look, much a lot of people won't like like it. You, you can't deny, like I say, taking St. Petersburg out of the host cities is a major, major um, problem for the for the for the World Cup. Not just for Russia as a host, but you know, for for FIFA as a as an organisation, is you know, it would be it would be like not having London in a in an English World Cup. But it just you can't, you just couldn't do it. Um, and, or, Bur- you know, or Birmingham. Oh, Birmingham, sorry, absolutely. <laughs> what am I on about? Absolutely. 
Um, <laughs> Christ, imagine, imagine Mesut Ozil dancing through for Germany in the Saint, at Saint Andrews. Oh, yeah. be quite it's all right. We've got players better than that at the moment. Uh, yeah, of course, of course we do. Um, but no, in, in all in all seriousness, there there is on the other hand um, a fair bit of precedence of of other bids, other World Cups before. Um, I'm not aware of many World Cups where every stadium has been built absolutely on time without the slightest hiccup whatsoever. Um, so, you know, there's there, there has to be some leniency simply because these things happen, and not just in Russia. They happen in all all over the world. Brazil, I mean, there were endless problems with construction there, um, and and afterwards as well. You know, the legacy of some of those stadia. I read that one of them has basically turned into a a, a bus terminal. They just can't they can't do anything with it. So um I know that's not in itself justification for it, but it should be factored into um how lenient FIFA are. So I think they they, they should allow some leniency, but you know, with obvious pressure to make sure it's resolved. Yeah, I mean Toka, the same question to you really. I'm just gonna add a couple of points in here that you mentioned, Andrew, about the, the there's sort of been no World Cup in a long time. I think Germany was pretty much spot on in 2006, but I couldn't confirm that really. I'd have to research a bit more. It's just it's just an a, a assumption of German efficiency, really. But, but the last couple of World Cups, we've seen South Africa and Brazil, and now Russia, obviously quite developing countries. So perhaps FIFA is taking that lenient line there. And the thing is, Toka, with I ask about FIFA being too lenient. Have they now, with the Brazil one in particular, where we knew that the, I think some of the stadiums weren't even ready when they were being played in, to be honest, but has that precedent been set? So Russia think, oh, well, they set that precedent for Brazil. They weren't too demanding of Brazil, so they won't be too demanding of us either. No, I think it's unfair to, to blame this on FIFA. I don't think it's because, because FIFA has been too relaxed with the demands to Russia or anything. I think this is this is all down to incompetence and, and corruption. I don't. I think, yeah, as I said, I think it would be unfair to put it on on FIFA this because there's been so much chaos at the stadium, and it's some of it happened way before the the with the World Cup bid was even delivered. So it has just been ten years with absolute madness all the way. I believe the stadium has been redesigned three times already, and it's just one thing after another. And I don't think you can blame that on FIFA because in the end, it's FIFA are not the ones building the stadium. They can impose some fines. They can tell Russia to build it faster, but then how much is that really going to change? It is It is Russia. It is the planning committee. It is St. Petersburg who have to build this stadium and, and has to get things working. So, yeah, I, I definitely put the, the blame on various Russian companies and authorities and all that, and, and not FIFA because, yeah, it, it is a Russian problem. It's not a FIFA problem. Yeah, I mean, we talk about the corruption, the latest arrest. I mean, so we have to be very careful with our language. But um, Marat Aganesian, who was actually born in Chisinau in Moldova, was is uh, the man who's been sort of charged at the moment for uh, illegally siphoning 50 million rubles, which was meant to go on a big screen at the arena. And in fact, the CEO of the construction company who was who were previously in charge was sacked in July after lack of progress and things like that. He, he has confirmed that that 50 million rubles never appeared at the stadium. So the thing is this, um, we, he's been involved in big buildings uh, in previous years. We've, we've seen reconstruction of the Bolshoi Theater and Marinsky Dvar in St. Petersburg, which was only opened a few years ago. And those are magnificent buildings. Now, Andrew, this is a man who it's not like this is a minor figure. This is a major figure in Russian society, really. When it comes to construction, he's arguably the biggest name. So this is a really damaging, arrest that's come out recently possibly the most damaging one yet yeah i i definitely agree with that the the his his profile and like you say the projects he's been involved in been involved in before um and i i would say it's in in contrast to some of the other stadia issues we've had across russia um i mean in in my my nearest city yekaterinburg the centralny stadium which i i went to see about about a month ago and it is I, from the outside, it looks hideously behind schedule, and that was hit by um, a scandal with a company. Where were the construction company from? I forget. Um, but it was a foreign, <clears throat> it was a foreign construction company that was uh, given the contract to to, uh, to build the stadium. Then they were criticised for the poor standard of work, and they were taken off. The the tender was taken away from them, uh, and then it was discovered that they were still involved in some way, and they they'd lost money. But nobody knew much about them. 
and like you say, this is very different. Um, Mr. Organisian is, um, it's not something that can be swept under the carpet, even, even, you know, in foreign media. And I'm sure this will be picked up fairly soon. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I really hope for St. Petersburg's sake, um, and for, well, the Russian World Cup's sake that this is dealt with swiftly and a, an answer is found for somebody who will run this project in, in his place because it can't be allowed to go on much further. There's only so much leniency that can be shown before it just becomes a fact that it won't be ready in time. So um, I, I'm looking forward very much to seeing what reports we see uh, of Mr. Organesian. Well, the thing is as well, it's um, it's it's very strange the situation because he resigned from the, the construction, of, I think it's about a year ago, and then this summer, the directors of the the, built, the construction, if you like, they said, oh, no, he's just advising on the project. Toka, keep talking about this. When is it going to end, finally? Do you think it will ever end? Hopefully when the stadium is done. And <laughs> yeah, but when, will, but when will that be? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's one of those. <laughs> that, that, that's, of course, that's the main question. I believe they've already postponed the, the expected um, time of, of the construction to finish more than 20 times since since the start of then it's it's so crazy how these things keep happening i mean it's it's absolutely it's absolutely insane that especially as as andrew said earlier because it is in st petersburg it is going to be Senna's new stadium it's such a, uh, an important stadium this um that it's it's just crazy how these things keep piling up and i'm absolutely certain that we haven't seen the last thing yet that would surprise me a lot if if it was just a smooth ride from here on. I mean, we talk about the Confederations Cup, of course, with the stadium due to host the final. Now, this is obviously looking a bit further into the future, but are we assuming that they will finally get their act together and it will actually be completed for the World Cup, which, of course, is the, the main thing? I, I, I don't think the World Cup is in danger, to be honest. I, I, as I said, I don't think we have seen the last problems, but I definitely expect it to be ready for the World Cup. Anything else would would surprise me. And Andrew, would you expect the same? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I mean, no matter how many um, problems they run along, um, run into, it just won't be allowed to happen. Um, you know, it might be much more expensive. Heads more may roll, or they will roll almost certainly, but it just won't be allowed to happen for the World Cup. Um, and you know, the, the the vast majority of the construction is. It's sort of, it is moving along. You know, you look at the pictures now and, you know, yeah, all the, all the seats are in and things pitch. like that. It's just, you know, I think there's a few problems with the pitch and a couple of things like that. It's, it's, I won't say minor I mean, stuff, but it's not like there isn't a building. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are certainly other structures and um, many more structures across Russia that are, are further behind. Um, Kaliningrad's in huge trouble. I, was, and, I wanted um, to get onto those. Yeah. I mean, um, am I right in thinking that the, it's not even being started yet or something ridiculous like that? Well, these, the, the, the ground's been broken, my understanding is. Um, but in terms of an actual structure, the stands are not in place yet. Um, Saransk is, is a fair bit behind as well. Although I think they may have some, some loose structural, uh, pieces coming into place. Um, but you know, what, what we're looking at, in, at the Zenit Arena right now is it's from the outside you can see what looks like a, a full structure inside of course there's a lot more to be done but and the pitch is an, uh, the major one that we covered earlier um, so it's not it's you know it's getting the attention because it's St Petersburg and because of the Confederations Cup um, but it actually isn't the furthest behind um, nor is it the only one but it is the most expensive Andrew that's the thing well, yeah, I mean that's the, it's, it's just I mean, what a waste of money this is all this is all turning out to be. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 always difficult to to make it that much more expensive. I mean, I, I just can't understand how that's how it's possible to make it ten times more expensive. But anyhow, I think um, in terms of the the World Cup, no, I don't have concerns about the World Cup. Confederations Cup, neither. To be honest, it will go up to the limit. I'm sure. But it just will be too embarrassing for everybody involved to to not host it there. So whatever help is needed on any level, I'm sure it will be given in time. It might be late, but I, you know, right up to the last minute. Sorry. Um, but I do think it will be in time for certainly World Cup and almost certainly Confederations Cup too. Um, just before we move on from this, I don't know if any of you two have been to the site, but it's it's in an island. <coughs> excuse me, it's on an island called Krestovsky Island in the north of the city. Now, it's not just the stadium that I feel that is lacking a bit here. There's also a lot of infrastructure around it. It's based around a lot of marshland and things, which doesn't help with the structure. But also the the infrastructure around there is really lacking. So the, for example, the nearest metro 
Kristovsky uh, is about 25 minutes walk away. So I'm not sure what they're going to do about structures around there. I mean, that's a that's a bit of a strange one. I mean, Toka, would you be concerned about that sort of thing? Or, or do you think that, again, it's St. Petersburg, it'll be fine? <laughs> no, that's, that, I think that's a very important issue because when, when you talk about these things, you often just look at the stadiums itself. But of course, the whole, the whole infrastructure is also a major... Because very, very quickly, Toko, we see the Akriti Arena. There's a metro right next to that. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's true. But I think all these infrastructural problems, they could be a real concern also by the time of the of the World Cup, especially now when they have to put so much extra focus and work at, at the stadiums themselves. So, yeah, I'd definitely be concerned about the the infrastructure at these, at these marked cities. Um, that is not Moscow, for example, because at Akriti Arena, the metro station is already there, the same as Kushniki, but I'd be concerned about those things that, um, in St. Petersburg. Also because Russia have already cancelled, for example, the construction of several hotels for the World Cup simply, um, to save money. And yeah, that, that's a real concern because these things also need to be, be built in time. And that, that is the same happened in Brazil, I believe, by the way, behind on tons of, uh, airports and all the, all these infrastructure. I think they still are that, behind. <laughs> probably, Even probably two years later. <laughs> and and these are the things you you often forget, but they're almost equally as important for the fans who who go to the games. Yeah, I mean, back in a sort of March time, I think it was fifty percent of the hotels in St. Petersburg were officially vetted. So that's you know that's quite a lot to go. But now we're going to move on to some some questions from listeners and reasons, etc. So this is a, a question from James Nichols, who of course is a contributor. He says, uh, "What are your thoughts on Churchesov? Do you think he knows what he's doing, or is he just experimenting and hoping for the best?" I um, we're, t- we're talking I, the national team, of course, for anybody who doesn't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched um, I watched both the the games and the international break, and of the you know the the performance and the results against Qatar were were fairly poor. Um, and, you know, I, I think a lot of people were just assuming, well, it will be a nice, easy ride, go to a slightly warmer climate, get a nice win under our belts, and it didn't happen. Um, but what I would say is the Romania game in Grozny, it's, I haven't looked at the exact possession stats, but I was actually quite impressed with how he set up the side. Because um, he set them up three at the back, and I strongly believe this is the way forward for the national side. Um, he he's been sort of consistent in his his will to experiment. Now he's running out of time to experiment. I fully accept that. If anybody says, well, how many games does he need to you know experiment with a completely random side? Um, but you know he tried he tried some interesting things like playing Kudryashov out on the left of a back three. Um, you know, and we've seen other other managers do that this season, playing more natural wide defenders near the centre of defence. Um, so I, I'm i still positive. After the Romania game, I'm positive. You know, he's he's shown the boldness needed to rejuvenate the side. Um, so, you know, it, it remains to see which friendlies are signed up for next year. Um, and I heard, I mean, Toko, I think you mentioned that there were talk, there was talk of possibly Italy or Spain or even Brazil um, being lined up. And if they get big name um opponents, then that's the time, I think, for him really to set his stamp out, right, now I'm going to show you more what my side's going to be like, less experimentation. But for now, I'm, I'm happy with how he's going. Yeah, Toko, what, what have we heard about those upcoming friendlies next year? I think mostly that they are looking for some quality opponents now. We have seen them play a lot of mediocre sides like Turkey and Ghana and yeah, Costa Rica, uh, Romania in his first few games. And I think the fact that now the um, Confederations Cups and, and of course the, the World Cup is coming closer, they need to step up the game, get some, some better opponents and also attract them to Russia, of course, get some sort of, I think also try, try to ignite some fire in the fans, get some excitement happening with the national team playing against Brazil and fill some stadiums and all that. I think that's also an important part of it because, of course, the support for the national team is is really, really low at the moment. There's, it's really apart from the game in Grozny where people were excited to get the first visit by the national team ever. It is, it is very visible that people are still disappointed with the Euro, with the World Cup, with the all the scandals like the Kukurin one. So I think 
some 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 especially some good performances against good teams that that can really help both Chargers to have the players and and also just build up this excitement that is needed when you're supposed to to host a big tournament because of course it has to be sort of like one month of partying when when the World Cup starts and for that to happen you need to have the fans behind you 100% and that's I think that's what they're trying to create now. So are you happy with the experimentation? To be honest, I'm I'm not sure. I was really I was really pleased. Uh, some of our listeners might remember this after the first national team squad he he assembled back in was it August? Yeah, September? I think it was, it was August. Is the first international break? Yeah, I, I was really really pleased because I I loved the outlook of that team. He had some young players in the squad. He he started the rejuvenation. He tried to reconstruct the team, and I was really pleased with that. But since then, I've I've honestly lost a bit of my optimism. Um, first of all, not so much because of the of the performances, which of course have been poor with the Costa Rica defeat, with the Qatar defeat, but also because it it seems that there's no real consistency in in the way he assembles his squads. It's it it almost seems a bit random that, as Andrew said, a bit too experimental. Because I'd like to to see that he at least had a spine on the team by now, and I just can't see that it's then he 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 changed too many players all the time and it's a bit frustrating because I'd, I'd like to see him at least have four or five players you know okay these guys are going to be the absolute uh, cornerstones in this team but we're, we're still to see that and I'm still to he's still to convince me 100% that he actually knows what he's doing it it is it is a bit strange right now but of course they have also had a lot of injuries and the latest two games were almost destroyed because of injuries. There were almost no players from Senate or or Siska in the squad, so it's it's also difficult for him. But I'm I'm not completely positive anymore. I I have to admit that. Yeah, we have to talk about that solid spine. The thing that sort of gets me about international football is a lot of people think, oh, pick the players in form. But for my money, if you're getting a squad together every couple of months, if you're just changing that the whole time. There's nothing there to it. I mean, the, a good example of this is Germany, for example. They have a, they had a few players up until sort of World Cup and their retirement who weren't necessarily in good form for their clubs or not even playing. I mean, a big example is Lukas Podolski, for example, at Arsenal. But, you know, he was always in that national team squad. Who So they have that experience. That, I mean, we see this with Russia, Andrew. For example, Magilivets, who I'm not even sure has played for Zenit this season, it starts for Russia. I mean, it's, it's strange. Yeah, that, I have to be honest. That was a very, very strange one for me. Um, as uh, he, I think he's played. He's had one substitute appearance in the league, and he played about an hour of a cup game. Um, I mean, he. It's, it's not being harsh to say he really hasn't earned. It. He's never been a regular, certainly in the starting line at the Sport now. Um, you know, he's been in the squad before once, twice, I think. But um, it, I don't really see what he was. Uh, that was an odd one. That was a mistake in my view. Um, I agree with you on that. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm battling against that instinct to be negative. I do think there are... He's made some mistakes. I agree with, with Toka. I'd like to have seen that spine by now. Um, Magilovic is he's not really ever going to be a, a spine player, so to speak. Um, but he doesn't really offer a great deal extra for me anyway. Um, but, you know, bringing players like Georgi Djikia into at least the training squad and... Um, uh, and um, Roman Yemelyanov, I was particularly proud, um, pleased to see a Ural player getting um, some recognition in the training squad too. Uh, and even Kirill Panchenko. I mean, he's even before his his loan spell at Dinamo this season, I always thought he had something interesting about him. Not saying he's a starter for Russia necessarily, but he needs to be given some experience. So, um, but yeah, I think really he's now he's run out of time. The next friendly, the next round of friendlies, he has to show us a clear spine, a clear direction. Otherwise, then I really will start to get worried. But for now, on the basis of Romania's performance, I'm I'm happy enough. But he's got to start showing us. Yeah, we um, speaking of Pancheco and the Fenel, we've had a question about the Fenel, which you'll be pleased with, Andrew, of course, from uh, Chris Holly. And he says, oh, yeah. um, with one loss in their last seven games, can Kuban Krasnodar make a top four push? Uh, honestly, no. Um, I mean, it's an incredibly tight league, um, the Fenel. It, it usually is. But, um, I mean, there's there's something like six points separating fourth and tenth, I think it is. I'm, I haven't counted the latest um, table, but they've, they've just got a bit too much ground to make up on. 
Um, I mean, mathematically, yes, it's a possibility, um, but a huge amount also depends on the winter break. Uh, I mean, it's true of any Russian club any at any level, but particularly so for Fenel teams. Um, you know, we've got the Fenel Cup where a lot of players go on trial at different clubs and try and earn themselves a contract, and, and it depends how other teams reinforce. Now, I suppose you could argue Cabana are a big club, certainly for Fenel's standards, um, you know, reasonably attractive, even if their wages aren't, aren't going to be huge this year. Um, some players who are on the fringes might be, you know, fringes are being picked up, might be tempted to join them. So, um, top four push, I think, is, is um, a bit out of their reach, but certainly they could do, uh, they could establish themselves for a push for next season, I think. But I think this season is a, is a bit too much given their dreadful start. And uh, another question from Chris here regarding the Fenel Toker is Mordovia. We saw them in the Premier League last season, of course, currently sitting 18th out of 20 teams in the Fenel. Could they suffer back to back relegations? Yeah, at this point wouldn't surprise me. Mordovia also have enormous problems outside of the pitch and they have, they're struggling financially. They have all sorts of problems and it's, it, it's really not a good environment. I, I'm sure most of our readers and listeners remember we talked a lot about them last year when, when the players went month without being paid and they had to sell key players such as, uh, Litalek in January just to be able to, <laughs> to have a bit of money in the, in the bank and to, to get, uh, salaries of some of the players. And of course, these problems are still at the club. They have no real income. They have, Lost all the key players. I mean, that, that the club is simply a mess. So back to back relegations wouldn't surprise me at all. I will just say they have they did win their last game, so that, that's slight improvement, I suppose. But I, I'd be inclined to agree with you. I mean, Andrew, would you think the same? Uh, yeah, in short, um, they you know they they were struggling as it was when they were in the Premier League, and they've lost like like Toke said, they lost them most of their players. So. Um, I mean, there's, there's further distractions in Saransk with the, you know, World Cup stadium and, and, and the financing for the club. I just, I'd love to be positive, but I just don't see it. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, I think they're a, a very strong candidate for going down this season. I mean, yeah, you mentioned the World Cup stadium. We could see a third tier side playing a World Cup stadium. It's crazy. But, um, just to sort of, actually, because yeah, we are last in the league. Oh, and Dinamo as well, of course. <laughs> we could see three, but, um, <laughs> Just to sort of start rounding, winding things down now for this podcast, I'm going to come to you, Andrew, and ask what's going on with the Predictions League. Ah, yeah, good. Um, yeah, the Predictions League is, uh, well, we're going to, we're coming up to a very busy period, um, for the Predictions League. We've got the, the, the last rush of, of games coming along. So that'll be interesting to see, uh, how many people are on their toes to send them in. But, um, we've actually had collectively a slightly poor run of predictions recently. Um, you know, we're, we're not hitting as many, but that I put down to some pretty bizarre results and some difficult fixtures to call the last couple of weeks. Um, however, right now, Krast- well, Krasnodar playing today, um, Spartak playing today, um, <clears throat> and there's some, the last four games of this game week, I think will produce a lot more points for people. Um, I, I'd be fairly gutted if I don't get all four of them myself personally. Um, but what I, what I would say is anybody listening who hasn't joined already, um, don't, don't be embarrassed to send in your predictions and join in because we will do a, we have a point per prediction game. Um, that will be running all season and possibly even run a separate Klaus Order Championship for after the winter break. So keep your eyes on it. Um, send in any predictions you like. Um, but it's so far, it's going pretty well. And who's top? Uh, Steve Fenton is still top oh, by right. a single point. Um, he might have stretched ahead of me. Uh, I'm one point behind him. Um, but it is getting very tight at the top. There is something like, oh, I think it's seven points separating third and tenth. Um, so, you know, there's, there's ground to be made up, but it, it's, it's getting pretty, pretty tight at the moment. Am I in the top 10? Uh, almost. Okay. Let's, almost. Sw- let's move on. <laughs> okay. I was going <laughs> to, okay. Let's ignore that then. Now we're going to come to sort of my favorite part really, which is our only in Russia moments. So this is things you only see in Russian football. So Andrew, actually we'll go with Toka because he hasn't spoken for a while. Toka, what's yours for this one? Well. My, my only Russian moment is the fact that they had to move the uh, tomorrow's game between uh, Tirigrasny and Tom Tomsk from 
Tom to to Terex simply because it was around minus 30 degrees uh, below uh, in Celsius in uh, in Tom. So they had that is no to... justification. Yeah, so they had, so they had, yeah, it was like I think it was last week they made it. But yeah, so they had to move it to the slightly warmer Grasny and then postpone the game in times to to next year. That's that's not, not something you see many places. I was going to say that is hardly great planning from the the fixture list at the start of the season, is it? Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, what did they expect? It's the same weather every year, so they should simply know. But uh, from experience, that at this time it it will be freezing cold in those places, so might as well try to to give them some away matches. Okay, and Andrew, what's yours? Um, well, I mean, I, I certainly uh, go along with Tokers. It certainly is only only in Russia that that would happen. But um, on a well, on a Tumen level, um, only only in Tumen, <clears throat> only in Russia. Sorry, um, would you have a game that it's so painfully obvious? And again, it's along the similar lines. But um, the game last weekend uh, was. Uh, was cancelled. It was minus 31. Um, you know, cars are not starting. And it's not just that it was, you know, the bad weather and they cancelled it, but they, they didn't tell anybody. Um, I, I went onto the website one hour before the game and they put a tiny little notice on the website. There was nothing on the radio, nothing on Twitter, nothing on contact or anything. Um, and, uh, it was, you know, I, I was driving I was driving to the game, but I stopped off to pick up a friend, stopped off in the in the pub, and I got my Wi-Fi on, just checked it was on, and, oh, by the way, yeah, we're not playing today. Um, so it's not just the cancelling of fixtures, it's the lack of communication. Um, I can't believe that would happen anywhere else. Okay, perfect. I'm actually going to end on a positive note, you know. This is, this is going to be a big surprise, uh-huh. because we sort of associate these sort of only in Russia moments with quite negative things now. Yesterday, I went to Birmingham City versus Bristol City and paid £25 for a ticket, which I think is absolutely ridiculous for two, basically, championship sides. Now, I'm going to say that in Russia, you would never see that type of price. I mean, I know wages and everything, but you'd never mm-hmm. see that high price for such a, what is essentially a second-tier, quite mediocre game, really. I mean, we saw Spartak versus Zen, it was £30, but that is, I mean, that is too expensive for Russian standards. That was top of the Russian Premier League, but this is a second-tier game at £25, and you wouldn't see that in Russia, so that's my only in Russia moment this week. Uh, definitely, definitely a good point to raise. I mean, it's um, I'm appalled at the price raise, uh, the price being raised in Tumen from fifty p to two pound fifty. Um, that, is a, that, is, that is a fourfold jump. That's almost as bad as the Zenit Arena budget. Well, well, it is really. Um, I mean, I'm honestly, it's, it, I, maybe I should have mentioned that's my only in Russia moment. But seriously, I got to the stadium, uh, first game of the season this season, and um, I decided I'm I'm going to pay for tickets rather than use a press pass this season. And um, I thought, well, 50 rubles—that's the least I can do. Um, yeah, let's give something just, back to the community. Yeah, big something back to the community. Fifty, all, all 50p of it. Um, and uh, 250 rubles, VIP 400 rubles. And when I say VIP, it really is VIP. You know, I was going to say you're a VIP there, aren't you? Well, I mean, uh, uh, absolutely. Um, I did get um, I did get to see the media centre because of my connections to the Tumen media agency. But um, the VIP area there is good, and for that, four pounds. If you no, gone, Ilya, Ilya and I paid for um, VIP tickets when you went to watch Torpedo Moscow. Uh, two months ago, and after walking around the whole stadium trying to get in at every single entrance, where the stewards keep saying, "Well, you have to to go a bit further," we ended up sitting on the main stand. I I don't know what was VIP about that, but <laughs> at least we got to see the game. Yeah, that was really strange. I think that makes you a VIP if you actually managed to get in. <laughs> but, yeah, that's perfect. Okay, um, well, thank you again, guys. Thanks, Toker, once again. Oh, just very quickly, Toker, is there anything? What's coming up on the website at the moment? Uh, well, we have a bit of thing. We have our usual reaction pieces with all the best quotes from the from the weekend. We have the highlights from the weekend. We have an, um, as I said, we have a story on Yeremenko case. I have an article coming on Sydney FC's Russian owner actually next week as oh, well. Nice. So we have some different things coming, both some uh, some good long read stories, and then of course our week to week coverage of the everything important happening in, in Russia. Okay, perfect. Uh, so thank you again for joining me, Toker. It's been a pleasure. Oh, always a pleasure, Thomas. And of course, thank you to Andrew. I hope it's not too cold there. 
Ah, no problem. Not right now because I'm inside. Outside would be bloody freezing. Yeah, otherwise great. (laughs) Get your scarf on, you'll be fine. Okay, so it just sees me to say um, thanks for listening. Again, do download, tell tell your friends about this podcast. We really enjoy bringing this insight into Russian football. Subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes and just keep listening. And like I said, spread it to your friends. We're trying to give you a real insight, especially with the World Cup coming up. We hope we bring you some insider knowledge. So again, thank you for listening. Goodbye. Идет футбольный матч, летит на поле мяч. Идет футбольный матч, летит на поле мяч.